When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. The disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. If a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Then said the disciples, Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. Albeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent. Ah, uh, here's one of the reasons I want you folk to believe who I am. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to Our study in the Gospel of John continues in chapter 11. We do welcome you to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our Lord Jesus, who is the resurrection and life, takes an occasion to prove his deity once again. Here in this chapter, Jesus is notified that one whom he loves is sick. Now there is one word for love in verse 3 and another different word for love in verse 5, but in both verses, Jesus is the one who is manifesting his love. And furthermore, Dr. Mitchell points out that it takes an occasion such as this for us to appeal to the Lord who loves us, to help us in our affliction. And isn't that so true? Well, Dr. Mitchell also will be speaking about the biblical perspective on death, so please listen for that. And let's turn in our Bible to John chapter 11, verse 1 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Our great desire is that you and I may know more and more about our precious Savior. You know, sometimes I wonder how much of us, or how much of the Savior do each one of us know. I do not mean so much intellectually as I do in your own heart and life. Is he a reality in your life? Is he a reality in my life? Am I just following some doctrine some religious organization? Or am I really trusting the Savior, really in love with Him? Now, I'm not trying to raise any doubts in your mind concerning your trusting the Savior. What I'm trying to say is this, that it's so, so many of us know so little 
about the intimacy of a life with the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I, be, when I read these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I see the fragrance of his life and see the display of his power, but most of all, the gracious words and his attitude toward people. My, how he loved men and women. He didn't have much love for false teachers and false prophets whose hearts were closed, whose minds were closed. They had no place in their life for Christ. And yet they were always demanding something, something that would bolster up, or should I say, give them ground for their unbelief. For certainly they were not looking ground for faith. So they claimed that. And with all the... uh, credentials and signs and wonders which our Lord Jesus did before them, still they never turned to him. In fact, they became bold in their opposition to him. And yet how he yearned over them, how he yearned over people, how he yearned over sinners. This is the astounding thing. My, how our Lord loved men and women, just like you and me. But he had no time for false teachers and false prophets who led the sheep astray. These were wolves seeking to break up the flock of God and be careful of anything that would break up the flock of God, whether it's local or whether it's general. Now, we've just finished chapter 10 of the Gospel through John where our Lord has been revealed as the shepherd of his people. You remember, he's the true shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He was the only shepherd. He was the obedient shepherd. He was the faithful shepherd. My, what a savior we have. And the more they opposed him, the more he began to manifest something of the marvels of his relationship to his father. Now we come to chapter 11. And the Lord has gone, if you take the end of chapter 10, he's left Jerusalem and he's gone down and crossed the Jordan and possibly is a little north of Jericho on the Jordan River, where John used to baptize. Possibly it would take between two and three days to walk from Jerusalem to where he was. Now in chapter 10, they had said, you remember in verse 24, how long do you make us a doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. So when we come to chapter 11, you have the great last final proof of his person. He's going to take a man in corruption, man dead four days. He deliberately waits until corruption is set in, and he's going to raise him from the dead. And as you read the chapter, you will notice our Lord is revealed as a real man in perfect sympathy with Mary and Martha, who were sorrowing because of the death of their brother Lazarus. As a man, he manifested perfect sympathy, compassion, tenderness, love. As God, he demonstrated his power in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Now, this is chapter 11. So let us take our Bibles and read it. And I'm going to read the first six verses. The first six verses. A certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, 
Behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now remember, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were, uh, were a very choice family when it comes to their relationship to the Savior. In fact, the last few nights that our Lord lived on earth, I'm of the persuasion he stayed. He stayed in Bethany. And if he stayed any place, it would be with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They were his great friends. And you notice that in verse 3, Mary and Martha sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And the intermission is he's sick unto death. He didn't have the flu or a cold. He was really, really sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now you see that trouble drove them to the Lord. These sisters were greatly concerned about their brother. But the Lord is away down there beyond Jordan. So they sent word, and it would take the messenger, I guess, a couple of days to get there. And they appealed to the Savior on the ground of his love. Their trouble drives them to the Lord. He whom you love is sick. Now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And they appealed to him on the ground of love. Can I, can I just digress for a minute? You know, in chapter 16, when we come to chapter 16, verses 23 to 28, our Lord appeals to us to make our, our request to the Father in his name, but he declares that the request should come on the ground that the Father loved them and that he would meet our needs because he loved us, not our love for him, his love for them. Likewise here, they did not say, Lazarus who loves you is sick. They said, he whom you love is sick. I repeat it again, trouble brings out the revelation of the Lord and he's going to manifest the fact that through this experience of Lazarus, being sick and dying in corruption is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Can I, in, can I put this in here? Oftentimes when we are sick, it's for a purpose. See, God oftentimes delays the answer to our prayers for a purpose. See, the end is not death. The end is the glory of God. They would like the Lord to hurry up. Why? Because the object of the Lord's love is very, very sick and is dying. But mark you, they left their case in his hands. Just like us, you know, we, we come to the Lord and we've got a need. And our attitude is, Lord, hurry up, hurry up. Hurry up and come. We get impatient. And if the Lord doesn't answer our prayer right away, we jump to the conclusion, the Lord didn't hear us. Or we jump to the conclusion that we don't have faith. 
or we jump to the conclusion that God doesn't love us enough. I'm telling you, when these two girls appealed to the Savior, on the ground of his love for their brother, they were on pretty good ground. He whom you love is sacred. That's why I believe too often we forget, shall I put it this way, too often we forget that the Lord loves us more than we love him. And oftentimes he, he delays the answer because he loves us. He delays the answer because of his glory. And blessed is the child of God who can take his affliction to God. And even though the affliction is not taken away, it isn't because God doesn't love you. It's because he loves you. that He allows you to go on. He can trust you. Can I put it this way? He can trust you with affliction. These two girls left their case in the hands of the Lord. He whom you love is sick. And it's true they wanted him to hurry up, but the Lord tarried two days. And let me say this. If God makes us wait, you can be sure of one thing. He must have some rich blessing in store for us. His delays are as important as his answers. Can I repeat that, my friend? Sometimes, in our desire for the Lord to hurry up and help us, Sometimes the Lord makes us wait. Why? Because the Lord is always on time. And the Lord is going to be glorified. And he knows the best time and the best way to meet your need. I repeat it, his delays are as important as his answers. Amazing thing with us, you know, we, we like the Lord, we pray, we make our requests, and we like the Lord to answer it right now. And how good we feel. But the Lord answers us right now. But sometimes the Lord delays the answer. Does that mean he doesn't love us as much? Oh, no. It's because he loves us that he delays the answer. And by the way, sometimes, you know, the things we ask the Lord for, it's just as well the Lord doesn't give them to us. Do you give to your child everything they ask for? Of course you don't. You just give to that child what's the best thing for the child. Why? Well, you've got more wisdom than the child has. And you love the child, and it's because you love the child, you withhold. Sometimes you, you're determined to give it to the child, but not now, not the right time. Don't you think our Heavenly Father knows all about this? He whom you love is sick. Hurry up, Lord. No, we're going to wait that the Son of God might be glorified that God himself may be glorified. Oh, what a wonderful thing. What a rest, what an assurance that God, knowing the best things for us, will not meet our need the way we want them met or when we want them met. But he's so gracious, he loves us so much. He knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes I repeat, his delays are far more important than the answers we expect. Now let's look at the next verses, verses 7 to 16. And here we see the attitude of our Savior to death. Let's look at it for a few moments, verses 7 to 16. Then after that he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. The disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you. 
Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. If a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Now notice, the disciples just couldn't understand. Then said the disciples, Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, there's no hurry about it. If he's sleeping, he's doing well. So why hurry? Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent. Ah, uh, here's one of the reasons I want you folk to believe who I am. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let me just stop right here for a moment. Did you notice the attitude of our Savior to death? It's just sleep. You remember in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says, We do not sorrow as the rest who have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also those who sleep in him will God bring with him. Or Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, He became a man that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the disciples didn't even understand this. The delay of going was for their sakes, that they might believe. Not only that Martha and Mary and Lazarus might believe and see the glory of God, but that even his disciples, he was doing it for his disciples' sake. The amazing thing, you know, this question. Death, for the Christian, death is just sleep. It's just sleep. It's the body that sleeps. The person doesn't sleep. Now, let me I better amplify that. I mean, there are those who believe in soul saving. No such thing in the Bible. Now, listen. The moment, and I'm talking about Christians, the moment a Christian leaves this world, the believer says, good night, earth, good morning, glory. The believer is ushered immediately into the presence of the Savior. As Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, absent from the body is, is present with the Lord. That same chapter, the first verse, we know if our earthly house of this table be dissolved, goes back to dust, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. See, Philippians chapter 1, 20, oh, about 22, 23, 24, where Paul says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Or putting it very simply this way, the moment a Christian leaves this world, he goes immediately into the presence of his Savior. He comes immediately into the presence of God. That's why Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, and excuse me going back and forth through this gospel through John, where he said to them, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You're full of sadness because as I'm going to my Father. 
Let me put my own words. He's saying, if you only knew what was on the other side, you would rejoice because I said I go to my father. If you only knew what was on the other side. You see, if believers today could see what was on the other side, none of us would want to live here one minute. We'd get restless about going home to glory. No, the Lord has withheld, has withheld that. He holds back what we can see on the what we, what is on the other side. We can't see it. He's got a job for us to do, and when our job is going to, when our job is finished and completed, and mission is accomplished, he's going to call us home. We go home, as Paul could say, "I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. He's finished his job. I don't want to stay down here when my job's done." I don't want to go home until my job is done either. The whole thing is in my father's hand. He's always on time, always on time. What I'm trying to get to your heart is this. The believer, the moment he leaves this world, goes right into the very presence of God. The body, as Romans 8, 10 says, the body is under the sentence of death because of sin. This body is not yet redeemed. So it's sick, it can be afflicted, it can deteriorate. We can leave it. Personality doesn't die. The body dies. That is, we leave the body, or death is separation. The body goes back to dust. Then at the coming of the Lord, the body is going to be raised from the dead. You remember in Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. My, what a, what a comfort. What a comfort. I say again, if we only knew what was on the other side, we would rejoice every time a child of God goes home. I'm not, I'm not blind, however, to the fact that we're still down here in frail human bodies. When we lose our loved ones, even though they go to be with the Savior, nevertheless, there is sorrow there, but we do not sorrow as the rest who have no hope. And by the way, the Lord knows all about that. See? Now, just one more word. Thomas said, let's also go, that we may die with him. And you know, this is dear Thomas. How often I've heard people run Thomas down. I kind of like Thomas in a way here. Thomas loves the Savior, and he's willing to die for the Savior. So you misunderstand me on that. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's die with him. Because they had, you remember the Jews had sworn that if Christ came, they would kill him. These disciples knew that. So the result was Thomas here is willing to die with the Savior. Bless his heart. Even after resurrection, it is true, he manifested doubts and is called Doubting Thomas. But there's a real love. You can never question his love for the Savior. Before I go any further on this, which will be in our next lesson, I want you to mark again the attitude of our Savior to death. And furthermore, I want you to remember, Christian friend, if God delays the answer to your prayer, it's because he has something better in store for you, because he loves you, and he's always on time, and whatever he does is going to be for his glory and for your joy. And I'll tell you, that's the kind of a God I want. I don't want a wishy-washy God. I want one who loves me enough, cares enough for me, that he's willing 
to do these things. To withhold or to give, all I know is he loves me with an everlasting love. He loves you, believer, with an everlasting love. To any unsaved person, may I say to you, my friend, you can know something of the glory of Christ by just putting your trust in the Savior. Now the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. In my darkness, Jesus found me, touched my eyes and made me see, broke sin's chains that long had bound me, brought me life and liberty. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.